0: If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to First Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue our studies in the book of First Peter. In a mental hospital uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, this is in the late 1800s, a young girl by the name of Little Annie was locked in what uh, she referred to as a dungeon. Uh, it was for those who were deemed hopelessly, insane she had a bad childhood her mother passed away when she was very young uh, she was going blind her, her father was negligent her, her brother died as soon as they moved into this facility and in little annie's case they saw no hope for her so uh, what they did was they again they confined her to to this cage uh, and about that time there was this elderly nurse that was working at the facility and she was nearing retirement was she felt that there was hope for all of god's children and so what she did was she started to you know take her lunch and eat by her uh outside of you know again what she referred to as her cage or her room and she felt that if she just communicated some love to this little girl uh, and some hope that maybe things would change well again little annie in many ways Uh, was like an animal. Uh, She was trapped in this cage. Uh, She would violently attack some of the workers when they came into her cage, and at other times, she would completely ignore them. Well, one day, uh, this nurse happened to bring brownies and sat at them outside uh, of her room and just left. And she noticed the next day that the brownies were gone. And so she would do this day after day after day when she visited, bringing these brownies to the little girl. And it got to the point where the institution actually saw a change in this little girl. And a change was taking place. And a day came when this hopeless case was told that she can even return home. But little Annie did not want to return home. She did not wish to leave. In fact, she decided to stay put to help others, to help give others hope. And this little Annie, the, this girl by little Annie, uh, is who we know as Anne Sullivan. Uh, Anne Sullivan, who taught and nurtured and gave hope to a younger Helen Keller, uh, who went on to do great things in the, lit- the realm of literature. She gave her hope. And we understand that we are all hopeless without Jesus Christ. And I hope you noticed that in last evening's sermon when we looked at the first half of 1 Peter. It's Jesus that gives us hope. That's the message that we read about in 1 Peter. Through those trials, through those sufferings that we're going to go through as Christians, we have hope. And again, that's what we focused in. We focused in the joy of hope. We can have joy being those chosen exiles of God, that we were chosen, uh, that we were born again. You know, we're born again into this new family. We have the joy of of suffering, as as strange as that may sound, but that strengthens our faith in this life. And also, we we saw the joy of the great blessing of salvation, the salvation that the angels long to look for. And Peter is strengthening our hope, in Christ, They needed to get through the persecution of their day, and we needed as well to get through the struggles of our day. And so as we continue on in 1 Peter, uh, notice in verse 13, the, the word there that begins this section, the second half of 1 Peter, is the word therefore. And again, uh, whenever we were in school and we saw that word therefore, our instructors always pointed out, we need to understand what it is there for. And so we sort of point ourselves back to the previous 12 verses uh, when Peter was talking about that such a salvation exists for us, a grace, again, that even the prophets, the angels did not understand. And so therefore, Peter is going to continue after giving us all of these different points of why we should hope or why we have joy in our hope. And now he's going to tell us how we are to conduct ourselves because of this hope. And so what we're going to notice tonight is what Peter says, again, as hopeful Christians, we should react to such grace. And so let's begin verses 13 through 16 as Peter begins this section by telling us we need to conduct ourselves in holiness. Peter writes, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours and your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter begins by saying, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Maybe your translation, maybe you're reading from the King James, New King James, and I like what... The translation here says it says, "Gird up the loins of your mind." You know, we'd we'd have to know something about that culture to kind of understand that text. But what he's talking about, you know, during that day, uh, the men and women they, they wore loose, flowing garments, you no, know, designed to protect from the wind and the the heat, the aridness of that climate. And they were very comfortable uh, wearing these garments, but, uh, but they were quite bulky when you needed to move, when you needed to get from point A to point B quickly. And so what you had to do, uh, if you needed to get to point A to point B very quickly, you had to gird them up. You had to you know, strap them up, you, uh, tie a belt around it or a rope or something. Gird them up. And again, he says, uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Be a Christian again is more than being comfortable. We need to be ready, he says. He also says, "Be sober in spirit, sober-minded." You know that we're not affected by anything. Obviously, a lot of times when we think of the word sober, we think of alcohol and drugs, and of course that fits the context here. Be sober in spirit. Do not let any of these things affect your mind. But it also, more broadly, determines or talks about being. In self-control, exercising self-control, be sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you. Again, th- that word hope, the confident expectation, uh, because Peter says it's going to be realized one day. You remember that passage in First Corinthians 13 where Paul says, uh, but faith, hope and love, uh, you know, these th- these three abound. But, uh, you know, love is the one that's going to last forever. And that's true, right? Because when our hope, when our faith is realized at the return of Christ, you know, we'll no longer need that hope. We'll no longer need that faith. But it's love that will continue on. But as we are here still in the flesh, still here on earth... Uh, Peter continues by saying that we need to fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then as verse 14, uh, he talks about being obedient children. you know, that was one of those hats we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the Christian being obedient children. But he says there, don't be drawn back into or don't conform to the former lusts of the flesh you performed in your ignorance. Not that you were dumb. Uh, but that you you were void of God's word. You didn't know any better at that time, Peter says. You know, he doesn't necessarily list right here what those are, uh, but he does later in chapter four, verse three, and obviously we'll get to that at a later point. But Peter writes in chapter four, verse three, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lust and drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. You know, he says, no longer let these things conform you, Uh, put them out of your lives. But rather, verse 15 and 16, your behavior needs to be holy just like god is holy he is the standard he is the basis for our ethics and morality the holiness of god you know holy uh, that word holy basically means to be set apart there's a lot of different words in scripture that basically come from that same uh, root word uh, sanctify sanctification uh, saint holiness you know all of those words you know in the broad sense means to be set apart for for the believer it means separation from the ideals of the world you know, in our speech as Christians, we 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 don't use, you know, cursing. We don't use the Lord's name in vain because we're set apart from the world in those things in our dress, a modestly uh, modest apparel again, set apart from the world in our business dealings or in our lives dealing with others. We're, we're honest. Our yes is to be yes. We're hardworking. Again, we are set apart from those uh, in the world. Again, holiness does not mean perfection. But it means, again, to be different, to be set apart. And God says, you are to be holy, for I am holy. And Peter, when he says this, he's quoting from the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. You remember uh, in the context of what that was talking about? It was talking about the dietary restrictions of the Israelite people, uh, that you shouldn't eat such and such because it's unclean. And here's what you need to eat because these things are clean for you. Why? Why did, you know, God give these laws to the Israelite people? You know, maybe it was because of the idolatry that was practiced during that time. Maybe it was a distinguishing mark for his people, again, to be set apart. Maybe he was promoting the general wel- welfare of the people. You know, pigs were scavengers. And so that's why they were sort of on that unclean list. You know, don't eat uh, pork uh, during that time. But again, God was to giving them these rules... For them to be holy, because God is holy. We might ask the question this evening, can I be holy? Well, it must be possible since Peter commands it of us to be holy. In fact, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 12 verse 14 says we are to pursue holiness, because without it, no one will see the Lord. And Brethren, we need to conduct ourselves in holiness. Let's, let's continue on with Peter's thoughts here in verses 17 through 21. He writes, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared at these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now he says, uh, conduct yourselves in fear. Uh, Notice there in verse 17 that he refers to God as both a loving father and an impartial and awesome judge. You know, both of these offer incentive for us to live holy lives, righteous lives. You know, children want to please their father, right? And, and so we want to respect authority. And then the, on the other hand, the judge has the authority to, to, to set us free or to lock us up. And, and so Peter says, so if you address him as father, if you call God your father, then conduct yourselves in fear while on earth. You know, he's hearkening back to verse two when he called them aliens or exiles. You know, while you're here on earth, while you're wandering around, this world is not my home. But while you are an exile or a stranger in this land, conduct yourself in fear. And this isn't cowardice, but it's a courageous emotion, which above all else dreads to displease God. It dreads to displease our father. It dreads to displease our judge. And it compels us. It compels us. And so... Would we want another reason uh, for this healthy fear? Again, a father and a judge. Well, he gives us one more in verse 18. He says, you were redeemed. You were ransomed. You were purchased. You know, that word there is the same word that they would use for uh, paying a ransom for a prisoner of war or the price of freeing a slave. You know, we see this sort of going on right now in in the wars that are going on in the world. You know, if uh, if someone is captured by the the opponent, uh, by the enemy, uh, you can uh, you can redeem or uh, purchase or ransom back some of your own captives. But that price, Peter says, wasn't simply silver and gold. The price to buy back wasn't things that were perishable. Uh, We were purchased from our previous futile ways of life, he says. And so be what God has purchased you to be. He has purchased you to be holy people. So what was that price? Verse 19 lets us know it was the precious blood, the unblemished and spotless blood of Christ. And no matter how much gold or silver or cash we have, none of that will wash away our sins. You know, someone like Elon Musk the, the richest man in the world who you know just spent like, what, $44 billion to buy Twitter? He cannot purchase uh, his sins to be washed away. He, all the money that he has cannot even touch uh, what it, the precious blood of Jesus. Those can't redeem the corrupting power of sin. And so in verses 20 and 21, again, Peter says, Jesus appeared for your sake. See, God had this plan set in motion before the foundation of the world, Galatians 4, verse 4 tells us in the, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to be born of a woman taking on flesh uh, the form of a man and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, to the death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2. And so through Jesus, you believe in God, Peter says, and your faith and your hope rest with him. You know, again, faith, our faith, that, that trust, trusting God. Uh, Peter, remember in those first few verses, told us that though you don't see him, you love him. Right? You, you have that faith in him. And again, that hope that we are to have of that future, uh, future-oriented hope uh, of an eternal inheritance. And brethren, we must conduct ourselves in fear. Again, Peter says you were redeemed with the precious blood, so don't take that for granted. You know, if God paid this great ransom for us and we don't live the holy lives that he has called us to... It makes a mockery of the plan that he had put in before the foundation of the world jesus said in matthew chapter 20 verse 28 that he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many and he did so with his precious blood finally this evening peter says conduct yourselves in holiness conduct yourselves in fear and also conduct yourselves in love let's let's look at the final verses of this chapter, starting in verse 22. Peter writes, "...since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Uh, verse 22, we see that word obedience again. That's the third time it's come up in chapter one of this, uh, Peter's uh, letter. Uh, verse two, he said, obey Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he said, we need to be obedient children. And now in verse 22, he says, we need an obedience to the truth. You know, Peter is looking back to the, the, the day that these Christians, uh, put, uh, when they obeyed the gospel, looking back when, when they did that, when they were set free. And he says, you had purified your souls when you were reborn. You know, and again, we talked about last week how uh, being born again uh, is in reference to baptism, John chapter three. Uh, but he says, because you have done these things, because you have purified your souls, you need to embrace a community Of your peers and brethren, Uh, this is an interesting verse in verse twenty-two because uh, we see the word love twice. But in the Greek, there's two different Greek words being used here. Uh, First, he says, "Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere Philadelphia." The the Philadelphia we know is the city of brotherly love. Uh, That's what that word there means. The Greek word Philadelphia means a brotherly love. Because of this brotherly love, he says, you need to fervently love one another. And that's the Greek word agape. Uh, because you have this brotherly love with uh, each and every one uh, who is in this family of God, you need to have this agape love for one another, to, to do what's best, uh, an unconditional type of love. And since you have obeyed a message that has been committed uh, to you to, uh, again, this sincere love of the brethren. That word sincere means unhypocritical for those who share your faith and hope and to fervently to stretch, to stretch your love to one another from the heart. Well, why? Because he tells us in those uh, final few verses, because we're family now. Again, we, we we've been born again into that spiritual family that he talked about in verse three. Uh, maybe you've heard before the term born-again Christian. You know, this was really popular uh, back in the 80s. It's not so much today, uh, but I, I learned a new word today. Uh, maybe I'll pronounce it wrong, but uh, the This word means needless repetition. You know, it's kind of like saying the evening sunset was beautiful. Well, by saying evening and sunset, you know, I, I sort of used, again, needless repetition. And born-again Christian is a needless repetition as well because if you are born again you know you're a christian and if you are a christian uh, you are born again but again not to a physical family based on your genetics it wasn't via the the perishable human seed of procreation but but peter says it's of the imperishable heavenly seed the word of god and we know as we've studied here recently in our adult Bible class in the life of Christ, the parable of the sower, that Jesus explains that the seed that's being sown uh, is the word of God and that, um, and that it's going uh, being sowed on these different types of soils. And you know the, the sower is looking for that good soil for it to uh, produce a crop and to bear fruit. And those are the ones who heard the word and understood it and let it grow in their heart. That's the word of God. That's the, this imperishable seed. And because you have obeyed the truth, Peter says, the truth in God's word, again, love one another fervently. And I love that word. It uh, means to stretch, you know, stretch your love among your brethren. And as he does this, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses six through eight, basically letting us know that, you know, humanity comes and goes. All flesh is like grass it withers, it goes away But God's word never fails. And so when we are born again, when we are born into this family, this spiritual family, we enter into the ultimate family structure where God is our father, where Christ is our brother, and we have countless other brothers and sisters, again, who have been born again. Next time, we will focus, as we move into chapter 2, on the uniqueness of hope. And we'll cover verses 1 through 10. But again, you know, thinking back to little Annie, our lives are never hopeless when Jesus is involved. You know, sometimes we might feel like little Annie, but through Jesus and his resurrection and promises, we have hope in God. But because of God's grace and offering salvation to those who seek it, Peter says, I need to conduct myself in holiness. I need to conduct myself in fear on this earth and i need to conduct myself in love. And again, uh, the, these verses should ring uh, to us this evening in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16, you are to be holy for i am holy. And again, how do i do that? By girding up the loins of my mind. Again, being resolute in my will to remain faithful, to walk in the light, by being sober-minded, by staying ever alert and vigilant, not allowing anything to cloud my judgment. And again, by being hopeful, you know, again, that key word that we've been talking about the past three weeks, being hopeful by keeping my eyes on the prize in eternal inheritance. And that, uh, brethren, concludes our, our, our look at the, the, uh, the chapter of first Peter this evening as we offer the invitation. Maybe you have not realized that hope, that, that hope that, again, is only in Christ. And to receive that hope, to become a child of God. We know the Bible tells us that we must hear the word of God and believe that Jesus is the son of God. uh, Repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. And then you have that hope. You have that hope that Christ is coming back, as he says, uh, that he's going to come back and receive his own uh, one day. And to have eternal life, to have that eternal inheritance that he... Provides. And again, we would love the opportunity to speak with you tonight or to help you begin your life, uh, uh, in your new spiritual life, your new spiritual walk, if you so desire to put on Christ in baptism. Or if you're here this evening and you need the prayers of the congregation, the encouragement of the congregation, uh, please let us know as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.